series, we'll be lifting the lid on IMG Arena. We'll be sharing who IMG Arena are, what they're doing, and what they've got planned for the future. This series will be hosted by me, Stephanie Williams. And on each episode, I'll be speaking to different people from all around the business, all around the globe, sharing what they're up to. This series aims to highlight what the business is doing. We'll discuss the challenges and fun we're having whilst building the company, and hopefully we'll have a laugh along the way. Welcome back to the I Am Juina podcast series. I am once again your host, Stephanie Williams, and this month I am going to be talking to people around the business who have hidden talents. I know there'll be plenty more people in the team who do extraordinary things in their spare time. And if you do, get in touch. We want to hear from you. But today, we're talking to three individuals, so let's meet them now. So first, we have Nick Glende, who is a project manager at IMG Arena. Hi, Steph. Thanks for having me. Next, we have Tina Ngondo, who is one of our encoding engineers. Hi, Steph. Thanks for having me. And finally, we are welcoming Andre Harrison, who is a content operations associate. Hey, Steph. Thanks for having me. Thank you for joining us today. I'm going to keep your talents a secret for a little while longer. And just to get everyone nice and warmed up and to get to know each other a little better, it's icebreaker time. So, Andre, what are you currently binge watching on TV? I'm a very big comic book fan. So I'm watching at the moment She-Hulk on Disney+. Plus. It's actually pretty good. I think it's pretty good. I'm just watching Ozark from the start. I've never watched it before. Yeah, that's a very good series. A lot of people said it's good. I've watched, I think, the first few episodes of the first season. What, you got bored? No, no, no. They're just life. <laughs> yeah, no, okay. no. They agree. So it's really good, really engaging. I want to get back to that. And Nick, if you could eat any food from one country only, what food would it be? It's a tough one. And as I heard on a rival podcast, there's some honourable munchins, which I thought was a funny, funny uh, expression to to give. Which is definitely uh, Greece and France would be honourable mentions, but uh, it has to be Italy. I don't think I can live without pizza and pasta. So uh, if it has to be just one, it'd have to be Italy. I think that's a worthy choice, to be honest. Mine is Thai. I could have Thai every single day. I love Thai food. Tina, walk us through what a perfect day would look like for you. Basically, sunshine, my favourite food. Which is? Lobster, (laughs) drenched in butter. (laughs) Oh, that was delicious. £25 for um, lobster and hamburger. Check it out, it's in Chiswick. After lunch, what would you be doing on your perfect day? Basically, um, a few drinks, having a nice conversation with some friends catching up really so basically right now yeah like like right now i'd say this is adding to my perfect day yeah i love talking so uh, let's get on with it <laughs> sorry yeah <laughs> <laughs> okay okay let's do it before we get into your hidden talents i just wanted to ask you all about your roles at img arena can you just tell us in a few sentences about your role your proudest moments here and what you do at the company so Tina, I'm thinking you're chomping at the bit, so why don't you go first? So I'm an encoding engineer at IMG Arena. So I acquire various inbound feeds from the master control room at Stockley Park, and then I stream them live to many different devices. And my proudest moment is working at Roland Garros at the actual tennis... On-site? On-site, yeah. And to get to see the tennis players walking around. So it's really exciting. You get like the real experience of live broadcasting that way and managing to stream about 16 different courts all at once. It was exciting and challenging. Wow. Yeah. Andre, how about you? My role is operations associate. To be fair, it's quite a broad role. I'm quite lucky to have it. Basically, once the contracts have been signed for whatever tournament or 
uh, properties we are taking, so football or volleyball or tennis, then we basically make sure that, for example, the encoding team where Tina works, they're getting the correct feeds go through. A few of the tournaments, we actually work with the production partners and set the, the cameras up in the actual tournament ourselves. So it's quite a broad role, which I quite enjoy. And your proudest moment? Proudest moment. Oh, God, there's so many. I like the fact that we get to travel a little bit. I like the fact that we get to go and see, obviously, how our production partners set up the cameras. Yeah, I suppose I feel quite proud sometimes when I have the knowledge to to give the guys on site, you know, what they could or couldn't be doing to make production better. Okay, so outside your proudest moment, your best trip then for the work? Ah, okay. Probably we went to Lille, I think, which was in April. That was really nice because the wine was amazing. (laughs) <laughs> it was a work trip though wasn't it Andre it was a work yeah, trip sorry, yeah yeah the work was the greatest point <laughs> <laughs> okay so Nick over to you I mean you're quite new so um yeah my proudest moment might be a struggle but uh yes yeah, so I'm product manager I look after everything um both football and as of this week American football related which is which is great so things are really starting to kick off for those two sports I think yeah proudest moment's very difficult so let's go for maybe the summer social where I managed to hit the very tiny rounders ball with a very tiny rounders bat and didn't embarrass myself in like my third or second week so that was probably my proudest moment so far yeah I mean I organized it It was a great event I'll take the credit for that there one. we go <laughs> Right, so hidden talents. Nick, let's start with you. What is your hidden talent and how did you get into it? Uh, So my hidden talent is I am an American football player and coach. My route into it was an interesting one. I was definitely on the other side of the fence as having played football pretty much all my life going to university. I was very of the opinion that American football, too slow, too many breaks for Americans, didn't really understand it. But um, the guys I was living with at university were massively into it, pulled me into a fancy football league one year and kind of didn't look back really. And so when I left university, I just kind of looked around for my local team, got involved as a team called the Wembley Stallions. And yeah, six seasons later, I have played for them. I've coached for them. And yeah, as of last year, I also took up a role coaching the GB women's team. And we played at the World Championships this summer over in Finland, uh, where we managed to get a silver medal. So it's been a bit of a whirlwind, but it's been a great experience. And yeah, learning a new sport from scratch at the age of whatever it was, 23, 24, was a new type of challenge. But it was it was great. And it's given me some amazing experiences over these last yeah six, seven years. I do like how you just kind of added in, oh, and you got a silver medal in the World Championships. <laughs> like, that is incredibly impressive need to hear more about this so where was it talk to us through the event yeah it was in finland uh, just outside of helsinki our aim was to medal the gb had never medaled before it always been america and canada that were the one two at the last four or five world championships held every four years and so our target was to go and medal so uh, new head coach new coaching structure loads of new players a real fresh start for the team and yeah we prepared really well we had training camps up at nottingham university once a month pretty much for the last two years and it was an accumulation of all of the club players around the country. And it, it was great. We were really, you know, based out there in a hotel for the best part of two weeks, real international team experience, which I hadn't had before, which is brilliant. You kind of, you know, you, you're eating, sleeping, training together, a real, real great experience to bring everyone together. And we came out, we beat Canada in the, uh, in the semis, essentially, which again was the first and put us through to the gold medal match. We were holding the US, I think it was 14 all at halftime, which was again, amazing. And Second half didn't quite go to plan and they kind of pulled away, but they're a very good team and certainly something that we're looking up to. So yeah, as I say, it's been a bit of a whirlwind, but it's um, over the years kind of getting to know the game, getting to know certainly the women's side of the sport as well, because I'm, I'm the head coach for the Wembley Stadium which women's team as well. And it's been, yeah, it's been great. It's been a great opportunity. So at the World Championships, you're playing USA in the final. 
Obviously, I can imagine they are the dominant force in American football, like across the globe. Generally, going into that match, did you think you could win it? Or were you just trying to enjoy the match and enjoy the experience and happy with the silver medal? Yeah, it was really interesting. I think probably before the tournament, I think if we were being honest, we probably saw them as being this untouchable force, untouchable team, had won every single world championships. But as you go through the week, you also get scout footage. So their semi-final and their first round game, we we basically picked apart and picked them apart. You know, we would spend, the coaches would be up in the hotel till midnight plus. And the more you kind of get to, to kind of really analyze a team and pick them apart, you realize they've got strengths, they've got weaknesses, just like any other team. And, you know, we game planned really well. And genuinely, we went into that final confident that we could get a result. You know, it, was, it wasn't it was an expectation, but it was it was real belief that we could go in there and cause an upset. And I think at halftime, I think their head coach probably was, you know, in a, a much more difficult situation than our head coach in terms of the, the, that team talk. So, no, I think we did. I think, yeah, we kind of broke down that that mystique around them in terms of this untouchable force. And yeah, I think our players did go into it with belief that we could win. That's the only good news going forward into future competitions then, if you can see they're beatable and you know how to get through them. Absolutely. We've got the Euros hopefully in two years' time as well. So obviously, you know, in a change of narrative, we'll probably be favourites for that now. But again, that will come with a different type of pressure. So I'm not sure where that's going to be yet, but it was over in it was in Leeds a couple of years ago. So it'll be somewhere else in a couple of years' time. And yeah, attention has already switched to that. We've got a training camp next month and focus has already gone. So yeah, we're not resting on the silver medal. And what do you prefer, coaching or playing? I think coaching. Coaching is the more rewarding one because as a player, you know, you can kind of only look after your own ability. Whereas I think coaching, you can have that day where you walk away and go, great. Like as a coach, we manage that, you know, group, that complete squad to success, which I think is a lot more powerful. It does on the flip side of that have a lot more stresses because you are then that person that is responsible for all those people. Whereas as a player, you have a bad game. You've only had a bad game yourself and you haven't had that impact. So I think there are higher highs and lower lows as a coach. So yeah, I think that gets my vote. So Tina, over to you. What is your hidden talent? Tell us. Okay, so um, I'm a creative artist, so I dabble in different types of art. So I actually do paintings and I also am a back-end vocalist for various bands. Like, name names. So there's a Captain Future who just released an album. He's the producer for Tricky and is currently working with um, James Brown's wife, you know, the father of soul. I know Taylor Swift and that's it. I actually don't know why I asked. <laughs> <laughs> it's more like a trip hop sort of album. If anyone wants to check it out, they're being sold at Rough Trade Records. Yeah, so I do various things, been in the music videos. And then also I'm a trainee pilot. A pilot? Yeah, a trainee pilot. <laughs> oh my God. I want to focus on that one. How did you get into that one? Basically, I was talking about wanting to fly aeroplanes and I tried to get into a pilot school when I was in uh, Norway, but that wasn't successful. And one of the technical managers at IMG in Stockley Park says, oh, I'm a pilot. And there's another guy that's a pilot. They're both private pilots. And so they introduced me to their flying school. And that's how it all started. Generally, how do you start to learn how to fly a plane? Is there a lot of like textbook work or do you just go up and they hand you the controls? <laughs> I really hope it's not that one though. <laughs> There was no textbook, but I was given a book. It's a Paul's uh, pilot book. It's um, learning to fly. But um, they stuck me in the plane before I read the book. (laughs) And um, yeah, the next thing I know, I mean, obviously I didn't take off on the plane straight away, but... Oh, okay, okay. I know. I I, I generally thought you were up in the air for a second then. I was like, what the hell is going on? Oh yeah, I was up in the air. I was. 
they took me up in the air on the plane it's dual control and they said right tina you have control now and i was like what and the guy goes you are flying the plane so i was flying the plane within like 10 minutes what's the flying test like it's like parallel park in a plane or like <laughs> what is the pilot test so basically i fly by myself for the pilot test I have to navigate myself, um, for example, all the way to Calais and then back again, but not leaving the country. I've got to stay within British skies and then back to the aerodrome. How again. do you navigate to Calais when you don't leave the country? You have a map that you follow. You have a route set up before you take off and you have to plan it and you have to fly all the way up to the border and then back again. Oh, wow. <laughs> <laughs> Very casual. Very casual about it. Have you been tempted to do a loop or something just to, you know, spice things up a bit? I have done loop the loop once. Wow, that's amazing. Yeah. It's quite easy. Survival's the hard part. <laughs> yes. <laughs> a pilot's just been getting away with this. I think no, no one's actually asked a pilot, is a plane hard to fly? We just assume it's hard. It's the concentration because um, there was one time I did fly a bit hungover and it was the most difficult time of my life. My instructor was going, Tina, are you okay? And I was just staring into space. <laughs> and I didn't know he'd asked me if I was okay like five times. And when I got off the plane, I said, I'll never, ever, ever do that again. It was very stressful because you have to really concentrate. You're constantly moving every control. You've got to keep your eye on the altimeter, all these instruments. Yeah, you have to pay attention. And also you've got ground control speaking to you. For example, they'll mention the name of my aeroplane and tell me to fly down a few altitudes. Uh, so I did that. And then all of a sudden I heard a whoosh, zoom, really loud. And then I realized that there's a big Boeing 747 aeroplane that just flew right above my head. So that's why I had to go down. Wow. It was landing into Gatwick. How high do you go? Not very high because we want to save um, fuel. So the higher you go, the more um, fuel you burn. Okay. Yeah, it just depends on... Um, what I'm learning um, I'm on of the flying. plane. I don't think I could even, the thought of going into a tiny aeroplane like that would just scare me. It is a little tin. So if you remove all the wings and everything, you feel like you're sitting inside a tin can. It just depends on what you're learning because flying's all about making mistakes and um, recovering from them. So, oh no, is it? Should it should be the opposite of that? <laughs> I really don't like these expressions. <laughs> I mean, I've, um, I've scared the instructor a few times and myself. <laughs> <laughs> like changing the flaps on the wings, preparing the plane for landing. It's meant to be like a gradual thing. You know, like when you're learning to drive, when you're changing gears, different gears for different speeds. Well, you know, you don't turn a corner in like third gear because the car will spin. Well, I kind of did that on the plane when, you know, shifted the degrees like by two really quickly. The plane just did a, a huge dip nosedive down. I saw the, my instructor's eyes widen and he quickly grabbed the controls off me and just quickly recovered the plane himself. Oh, and, wow. you know, yeah, we're both like sort of getting our breaths back afterwards. There's a lot of room for mistakes up there. I'm going to get my <laughs> breath back now. And Andre, over to you. What is your hidden talent? Tell us. Calm us down. <laughs> um, yes, it's not, it's not as exhilarating as making mistakes in an aeroplane. <laughs> um, on the side, I do filmmaking. It's something which I started maybe five years ago now. I was always into it when I was in school. I used to do like acting as part of my GCSE and my A-levels. So I was always interested in film, but when I was younger, music kind of took over and I got to travel and tour and stuff. So I you know, got to see the world and have fun. And then it got to maybe six years ago and I was, yeah, the music kind of died down. I was like, what else do I kind of want to 
do what other creative things I want to explore and then film you know I always love film more than just watching it but on a technical level so yeah I bought like a cheap camera made a short movie then made another short movie which got into a festival and it kind of got better and met really nice people who were a bit more connected than I was at the time then we done a feature film last year and then we screened it last week Friday in London how'd it go Really good. From what I can remember, really good. Really good. It, we, it was on a Friday night and I think everyone was pretty intoxicated until Sunday night. So <laughs> I think it went well. <laughs> okay, so I have questions. So first of all, okay. you say you used to be into singing. Is that another hidden talent or like music? Yeah, I still do play music, but not so much because of the film as well. Like it kind of took over a big part of my life. So I stopped doing music for a while, but maybe I'll get back into it when things come down. Singing or DJing or producing or? Yeah, yeah, yes. I used to sing in a metal band, but I also play guitar and do keyboards for another band as well, which I stopped about six or seven months ago. God, I'm learning so much in this podcast today. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> okay, and then, so, and you did acting at GCC and A level, but yeah. Did you do directing then or was it just acting? No, it was purely acting. So I wanted to act first. And then when I left school, I was doing some like short films and I got offered a couple of series, but the roles were very stereotypical roles, which didn't really interest me. And then I always loved music as well. And then the opportunity came to, you know, be in a band and tour and stuff. So that's kind of what happened. And then what kind of films do you direct? Is it like you have a set genre or that you can turn your hand at any kind of film? I started off with horror because I liked horror and I was always told to obviously start with what you kind of know. So my first few short films were like horror films and then I'd done a film which was about a woman who was kind of discovered, it wasn't horror, it was like a drama or coming of age story. The first episode to a series which won a couple of awards called Dahlia and that was different but the script was really cool. Yeah, I enjoyed working on that. For me, I kind of like everything depends on the script but my go to if someone says to me hey would you you know you want to grab a few beers and check out a film you don't know what to see then i'll probably watch horror or sci-fi or some superhero film whatever well so what's the process like so how do you find the scripts like the funding so the first film i was working nights for tfl that was self-funded all by myself just done a bit of research was like hey what kind of camera can i afford bought the camera uh youtube videos are very good and there's a site called film courage uh, a channel sorry called film courage and they're very good with teaching you basically everything you need to know about film. So I was watching a lot of those, understanding what lenses are and how cameras work. This was like that, really. And then the next one said it won a couple of awards. So I was going to a few festivals and I met a few other people who were looking to do what I wanted to do. And then it kind of, yeah, just expanded. I think you can learn anything on YouTube. <laughs> no, yeah, I agree. I agree. Yeah. Like a lot of the stuff that I've learned, even with music, like when I had to learn to play keyboard and stuff like this, it was all on YouTube. It was all just watching YouTube videos of people. Say, for example, you know, like a riff on a guitar, but you want to learn how to do it on keyboard. Yeah, that's exactly the same way. YouTube is amazing. It's also bad as well, because there's a lot of people on there who don't know too much and have the power to influence others. But it's also good for educational purposes. (laughs) <laughs> it is excellent for educational purposes. So how do you find actors and actresses? Like, is that just through word of mouth or do you like put it on social media? Yeah, there's lots of sites like a site called Mandy, which a lot of people use to work in the industry. And um, that I started using Spotlight is very good. Lots of these websites. I mean, now I get a lot of people just message me on Instagram or whatever if they're an actor. I've worked with quite a few people. So now I just put like an ad out on my social and then 
you know, people who are actors will say, oh, cool, yeah, you know, I'm an actor or blah, blah. But also on Facebook as well, there's a lot of filmmaker-run groups where people like myself or other people can say, oh, I'm doing a film, I'm doing a short film in London. I'm looking for a DOP, director, producer, writer, or whatever. And then there's a lot of people out there who are looking for work or just looking for experience as well. So it's not like you're in a short supply, but finding people who are good is difficult. What's the most amount of takes you've ever done in a film? And whose fault was it? Uh, okay, so the feature film we did was shot during a pandemic. And at the beginning, we were super like on the regulations and stuff like this. So there was one scene where we wasn't too sure if you're allowed to like touch people on camera. So we've done about 15 takes with these two people touching and then 15 takes with them not touching. And then we researched the law to see which was what we could do. But obviously now that really matters now, so we're fine. But uh, I think that was probably the most takes we did. Yeah, right must made it hard during that yeah. time. Yeah. I think the beginning part was because obviously when you meet people for the first time, you're not too sure what their stance was with COVID and, you know. If they had it. <laughs> yeah, no, no, no. We don't like the COVID test, but like, you know, so some people just didn't want people near them or some people was okay with it. So that was the hardest part, I think, for the first few days. Then after when you kind of got to understand you know, what people were like, then it was a bit easier. This sounds like it must take up quite a lot of time outside of work. So how do you manage your work-life balance? Just don't sleep. <laughs> yeah, yeah, no, just, <laughs> just kind of uh, managing time. Like obviously when you do, you have meetings and stuff, you kind of look at your calendar and know what you can put in where. For me, and it's the same thing with this. Like obviously I work with IMG, it's a great company, you know, from nine to five or however long it takes to do what I need to do. But then afterwards, or before sometimes and on the weekends, you know, planning what I can do and who I'm meeting for the next project or what needs to be done. Yeah, it's a similar kind of thing. Are your team understanding of your commitments outside of work? Yeah, yeah, they are. Two of them came to the premiere last week as well. And Oh, that's so lovely. Yeah, it was really nice to see them there. I mean, I'm quite lucky. My team is like a really nice bunch of people. I'm very lucky to have them. You've got another premiere coming up. Yeah, in February, we're going to do, well, not wouldn't be the premiere, cause, but it would be the, another screening we'll do in February, I think, or maybe it's March now. But it's going to be soon. Um, and yeah, I'll let, I'll let everyone know. It's going to be a bigger cinema because we realised that it, it done a bit better than we thought it would. So we had like 20-odd people on the waiting list. So it was like, okay, cool, let's uh, try and book a bigger venue this time around. So yeah, February, March, we'll do another one. You should let us know and, and, yeah. and we can publicise it on the, in our channels. And oh, for let's sure. Let's go see Andre's film. Let's get on the screen in Chiswick Park. <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah. 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 <laughs> That's not a bad idea. That's not a bad idea. Nick, how about you? You travel internationally for your coaching and American football games last a long time. How do you manage that with your work? Yeah, I think it is a balance. I think very coachy answer, but kind of like having a process and having a structure that means that, you know, every week you're not having to think of things from scratch, right? So if you've got a template for your training plan, you got you know roughly what you want to do for that day. So rather than thinking each week, oh, it's going to be a massive planning and reviewing and scouting process. If you have that kind of process in place, it means it kind of hopefully streamlines things a little bit, but it certainly does. I mean, there's a lot of travel as well. In our club league, we travel as far as Birmingham on a Saturday, so that's a full day out. As I mentioned, the camps are up in Nottingham, which again is a probably a six o'clock a.m. start here and then get back about 9 p.m. So it does take up a lot of time. I think 
again, it's about balancing, you know, off other coaches as well. So, you know, it's great that we've got a really strong coaching network, certainly at GB and also at a club level as well. So just making sure you don't take too much on your plate and you can work with other coaches because you've got that kind of support around you. So it is a balance and there are definitely days where, you know, you, you do lose a, a day of a weekend or even a couple of days out of the weekend. But um, yeah, it's good. I'd, I'd much rather be doing it that way. It keeps you busy and uh, it's enjoyable. And then Tina, coming into the winter, the visibility is not going to be great for flying. Oh, God, How are you no. going to prioritise that? Basically, because I'm flying a Cessna plane, it's a Skyhawk 172. So it's just an instrument only basic aeroplane. I'm only allowed to fly in daytime because to fly at night, I need to have another certificate, which is called instrument rating. So there's different degrees of certificates you need to get to do certain types of flying. So to fly at nighttime, I need to IR, which is called instrument rated. And so that allows me to just only use the instrument to fly. But I don't don't have that. I have to pass my private pilot's license first before I go to that certificate next. So there's so many different certificates I, I need to gain. So it depends what kind of flying I want to do. Yeah, if I want to fly a massive aeroplane, 747, for commercial purposes, I have to do instrument rated and CPL, where you learn even more. You have quite a few hidden talents outside of work, like you draw, you paint, you sing and you, and you fly. How do you manage all those with your work schedule? The flying, I plan in advance and book the dates because it's quite expensive. It's, I either do it like once a month at the moment. And also with my job, I'm able to work from home. So it saves me four hours of traveling. So those four hours I use for creative time. And when it's my days off, if I'm hanging out with friends, I'm not just hanging out with them. Our social time is also creative as well. So all my friends are either musicians or actors. We use that time, our social time as a creative time as well. So it's more fun and productive. It sounds like you get like people involved all over your friendship groups, but how can anyone else get involved? How can I get involved in directing? How can I get involved in American football? Or how can I start flying? I'll just introduce you to my um, flight instructor and we'll just stick you in the plane. No, 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 (laughs) (laughs) no, I think that actually sounds like my living hell. The ground doesn't look real from up there. But it is. And it's very hard if you crash. I I think I'll stay on the floor. Nick, how would I get into American football? The British American Football Association, BAFA, the governing body of the sport. So I think they have actually got a Find Your Club page on their website, which is what I used many moons ago. And it's great, yeah, just stick in your postcode and there's opportunities. Again, there's men's, there's women's, there's junior, there's flag. So it kind of doesn't matter, you know, age, gender, ability, size, anything. There should be something for you. So yeah, definitely check out check out the BAFA website. And what are your next steps like? I hate to say this, but is the next step for you to coach an American football men's team? Is that the progression up? If I was 10 years younger, maybe. I mean, we have had some people go over to America and coach on NFL teams, which is incredibly exciting. And for me personally, I think, yeah, continue to work with the GB team, see where that goes. And yeah, kind of growing from there, I think. The connection between the UK and America for the NFL is massive. Now, again, all jokes aside, going back 10 years, they had a couple of NFL games here a season. But now there's three. Obviously, Tottenham Hotspur Stadium is part football, part American football. They've actually got, you know, almost like a permanent American football pitch there. And so there's loads of opportunities for players and coaches to go over to America and learn there, which is obviously, you know, the standard and quality there is significantly higher, even at like high school level. So, yeah, I think maybe it's too late for me, but I certainly think for others, there's a lot of opportunity out there now. 
And Andre, how about me getting into film directing? I would say social media at the moment is very good for finding work, finding people who are looking for someone to get involved in their projects. Yeah, the sites that I mentioned before, so like Spotlight or Mandy, they're also very good. Definitely find what your passion is. So if you was directing, then I would say find someone who's got a camera or get your own camera and then film something and see how you feel about it. And then if that's what your heart is like, yeah, cool, I want to do this more, then do the uh, the networking stuff, definitely. I think with this industry, that's the only way you kind of get anywhere is by networking. Steph, if you film your first flying lesson, I imagine that would be That's going to be watchable. <laughs> Horror, action, adventure. It's going to take it off. I actually went into a cockpit recently. I flew to America and uh, really conveniently, I met the uh, pilot on the Saturday night. And uh, he told me that he was flying my plane on the Monday to New York. And so oh, wow. I got upgraded and he uh, came to my seat and said, do you want to come in the cockpit? This is generally not. Um, oh. <laughs> it sounds a lot dirtier than it is, but it's not. It sounds a bit naughty. <laughs> it does. So I, I sat in a seat. I wore his captain's hat and he took a photo of me. <laughs> Moving swiftly on. That also sounds like a really good film. <laughs> <laughs> My mum really thought I'd met my husband at that point, so uh, oh, yeah. <laughs> sorry to, to disappoint mother. So let's quickly end with some quick fire and hopefully funny questions. Who in IMG Arena would you like to live with and who would you hate to live with? I think we'd like nice to live with Tina, considering she flies planes as a DJ. <laughs> that would that'd be pretty good. I can imagine yeah. like, the, like, the parties that you have of quite fun and then i fly in all your actors your a-list actors like if you need anyone closing, <laughs> exactly. you know, yeah. just flying yeah, exactly. in from hollywood exactly. yeah if you want any experience of like a uh, loop the loop or barrel rolling and stuff like that bring on do some party tricks <laughs> i think everyone needs to know a tina in their life i think everyone <laughs> needs to have a tina she would she, she could turn a hand at anything by the sounds of it so anyone has an issue just ask tina <laughs> Nick, I know you're very new, but go on then. Tell us who you'd like to live with or who you'd hate to live with. Yeah, I, this is hard for me as I being a bit new. I think I can only think that I would hate to live with someone that's that messy. So I don't know if you guys have some names that would fit that category. Messy wouldn't be fun. Anyone fit that category? No, no, no. no. Everyone's very, no. everyone's very tidy. All right. And then who'd be good to live with? Any good cooks? Anyone like a cook? I like cooking. But any other good cooks? I can bake. You can bake. Okay. All right, Steph, we'll live, we'll live together. Okay, great. Yeah, you fine. Sorted. There you go. Sorted. That's, that's my answer. <laughs> and if you could swap jobs with anyone in IMG Arena just for one day, who would it be? Freddie and double the Christmas time uh, break. <laughs> I was going to say the same as well. I'll say Freddie as well. Yes. <laughs> I'll have Freddie's yeah, job. Yeah, I'll was, I was probably say Freddie. Yeah. I don't think I could do Freddie Long's job in a day. I think it'd be too stressful for me. Oh, it depends on the day of the week, no? Yeah. Maybe be on a Saturday or a Sunday. Just come <laughs> in, sit in the office and go home. He always seems to be smiling. He must be happy with his job. That is true. He is always happy and always smiling. So go on then. Let's all trade days with Freddie. And then final question. This is my favorite question to ask in my team at work. If you won the Euro Millions, who would you tell in Arena first? And what's the first thing you'd physically buy? And a house does not count. You can't buy a house. I think I'd want to tell everyone in some kind of massive grand unveiling i'd hire tina to fly her plane out the back of it <laughs> i've won the lottery <laughs> drinks on me something like that i'd probably tell my team i think they can keep a secret what's the first thing you'd buy probably a camera one better than the ones i have at the moment 
you are generally actually all nicer people than I am. Because if I won the lottery, I would quit that second. I wouldn't tell <laughs> anyone. I would just leave the next day. I'll just go shopping and buy myself a Rolex. And then just wave goodbye to everyone from my, from my private jet that Tina's flying away. Good friend, Steph. I've always said you're a good colleague. <laughs> <laughs> Loyal. So I think I'm going to leave the podcast there today. I think you've heard far too many stories of my personal life, but that's a wrap for another episode of the IMG in a podcast. Hope you all enjoyed listening as much as I have enjoyed getting to know everyone today. Thank you to my guests, Nick, Tina and Andre for joining us and sharing their time to tell us about their hidden talents. Thanks, Steph. Thank you, Steph. Thank you. It's been fun. Don't forget, you can subscribe to the IMG in a podcast wherever you get your podcasts from and join us for the next episode, which will be all about Freddie Long. See you then.